All right, welcome back to the Christian Tactician Podcast. I am your host, Adam Yates. Thank you so much for taking a few moments to uh, spend time with me and listen to this podcast today. Uh, I know uh, for those of you who regularly follow me, I apologize. I know it's been a while since I put out a podcast. Uh, Life uh, is always busy. I'm sure it's busy for each one of you, and um, it's been on my mind, something I've been trying to mark off of the list that, man, I got to get out another podcast. And uh, I think it was probably pretty good because I had um, some time to really think about what I wanted to talk about today. And I feel like I have a pretty beneficial podcast for you today. Uh, I want to just remind you quickly about uh, some things that that I always want to talk about, you know, to remember that we serve a God, we love a God, we know a God who is a God of purpose. He is a God who has a purpose for you. He's a God who has a plan for you. I hope with your whole heart you believe that, that God has a plan for you. And, you know, today's a pretty good one in terms of the podcast and, and in terms of thinking about that. Uh, because you see my title, it's about failure. And and I want us to remember that God still has a purpose for us even when we fail. And that's something I feel like is so important that we remember. God has a purpose for us even when we fail. God purposed you uh, to be a man. He knew what he was doing when he made you. He made you with purpose. He made you... Uh, exactly how he wanted you to be. Um, He puts you in a place where you can be successful. And for those of you ladies who are listening to this, because I know I have some ladies, you know, God also created you with purpose. Uh, He didn't do anything by accident. I want to remind you men that uh, a man of God is a man of action, that he is, is one who is always looking for what needs to be done within his own life, within the lives of others. He doesn't stand by idle. He doesn't just let life happen. A man of God is a man who accepts and desires responsibility. Those responsibilities that were given to him when he was created, and he also desires that more responsibility be given to him. He looks for where he can be of an effect in the lives of others and takes responsibility for it, for being a good example, for being a leader, uh, for being someone who's ready to encourage Uh, for being a good friend. He takes that responsibility seriously. A man of God is a man of leadership. He leads from the front. He's visible. He's seen. He doesn't hide in the background. He doesn't send somebody else to do his work. He's willing to be a leader, and and with the responsibility of being a leader, when someone wants to, you know, a leader is the first one to be criticized. A leader is the first one uh, to have people point their fingers. We live in a society, we, we enjoy being critical of another. And uh, being a leader, man, that's that's what it is. It's being willing to accept uh, the criticism of the world. And, you know, one of those things that helps us to be able to endure the criticisms that come sometimes with being a leader is when we know for certain that we are walking with Christ, that we are making decisions that are God-led. And that last aspect of being a man, so important, right? A man of God is a man of great expectation. He's fully convinced of why he is doing all of these things, why he endures the struggles, the difficulties, the pains. He knows why. He has a hope. He has a confident expectation in what the Lord has promised. And with that, I I truly believe, comes having an experience with a God who fulfills his word, that when uh, we have seen that God has worked in our lives, it helps us to have a more uh, full expectation for the future. You know, I want us to remember that. I want you to consider that. I also want you to remember... This, this silly saying that I have, you know, the dogs also bark at what they don't know. You know, those things that we don't know and we don't understand, they can be frightening, they can be concerning, and manhood is one of those things that over the years has been damaged. All right, and Christian manhood over the years has been damaged. And, you know, the more that I look at it, I've seen over these past several months, you know, there have been several prominent Christian pastors and leaders that have been found themselves embroiled in scandal and those things. That's a damage, Right. 
That's something that damages the concept of Christian manhood. But you have an opportunity. You have, it's part of the purpose, part of why you're listening to this podcast, part of why God puts you where you are, that you can show those aspects of a good, loving, righteous, godly man who is humble, who is uh, not self-serving, who is looking outward to the needs of others, who is cautious in what he says and what he does, who uh, makes an effort to show the love of Christ to all people at all times. And when we do that, we can begin to change the course of how people perceive Christian men. And uh, you have an opportunity to be of an effect, and it may only be a one person. But man, if you can touch, if you can help to change the life of one person, you know, that's, that's an amazing thing. What a great, what a, what a wonderful, what a, what a perfect opportunity. And it's before you. And so I want you to think about those things. So today we're going to talk about failure. And this is something that, uh, that's been on my mind. It's been on my heart because uh, I think that one of the biggest downfalls of men, and, and it's of mankind in general, but one of these downfalls that we have as men, you know, we are typically competitive. Um, you know, I'm, I've uh, finished a fire academy. I'm a firefighter now. And as I'm going uh, and I'm working, you know, I had this conversation with my captain. And we're talking about uh, some of the things that firefighters do. And he says, you know, firefighters, he says, you need to understand everything is a competition. He says, it's a competition for how quickly you can wash dishes. It's a competition for how well you can mop a station. It's a competition for how quickly you can get a hose line off of an engine and put water on a fire. It's a competition. He says, everything is a competition. And this is one of the biggest downfalls of mankind, right? Because when everything's a competition, what happens when we fail? Uh, men are driven, right? We're driven to succeed. We're driven to go forward. Most men have some sort of desire in their mind. They're usually usually not content to sit and do nothing. And one of the other big downfalls I feel like, especially in, in terms of failure that we're going to talk about today that mankind has, is we make, we, we view ourselves, we give ourselves, uh, it's, it, it helps us to uh, define or we define ourselves based upon our accomplishments. And an accomplishment in and of itself is a success. And so what happens if we don't have a lot of success and rather we have failure? You know, one of these things I, I think about, and I've talked about this before. I remember talking about this at our youth camp last year, and, and I told uh, the people that I was talking to in, in one of the cabins, I said, this is going to sound really bad. I said, but, but it's a truth that has, been, that has happened in my life. You know, for most of my life, I was very successful. I never interviewed for a job that I didn't get. Within those jobs, I never interviewed for a position that I didn't get. It seemed like whenever challenges or opportunities came up, that they almost always seem to go my way. I'm someone who I have had uh, a lot of, of talent. I, I know that, you know, I, I'm, I'm athletic. And some of the things like in my job as a police officer, you know, that were important, you know, I could talk to people well. Um, I could interview people well. I could shoot well. I could teach well. All of these things, right? And I realize in saying that, that can sound incredibly prideful. And, and truth be told, it's something I've had to struggle with throughout my life, right? Because I've noted that, that, that I'm able to do things well. And, you know, that's not been a benefit to me. There, there are important lessons that failure brings, and, and, and I want to talk about that as this podcast uh, progresses, but it also success, if we are not humble, if we are not grounded in the Lord, it can really cause an issue in how we view ourselves. And this is something that throughout my life, you know, my successes were not always a benefit to my soul, and they became a very dangerous source of pride within me. And one of the things that happened is, is when failures began to come, 
it took me a while to kind of figure out what to what to do, what to happen, you know, because it's like, well, hey, listen, I'm fully qualified for this. Why didn't I get this? Hey, wait a minute. I've never had a situation go south like this before. How come that, you know, things have always seemed to work out for me. Why now? And failure, uh, I can remember when I played basketball um, in high school, you know, we were a part of a basketball team and it was, uh, we were, we had a phenomenal team. So I was the starting center, uh, the four other guys on there. I mean, we were very good. We all played very well together and um, all of the practice, all of the scrimmages we had had before the regular season started and everything. I mean, we had just been clicking and destroying the teams that we were playing good teams. And so we were thinking, man, we can go pretty far here. And of course, it was my senior year, and I'm hoping, at least in my mind, hey, maybe I can get some, you know, some sort of college offer, not like a, a D1 or D2 or anything like that. But hey, community college, right? Pay, pay for a little bit of college and play some basketball, right? That's what I was hoping for. And I'm like, dude, I'm on a team that this can work out. Well, we went to the first tournament of the year, and it was as the season started. I think we had one game prior to it. We went to a tournament down in Tucson, Arizona. Four of the starters were all staying in one room, and I was staying in another with a couple of the other guys in this hotel. And 10, 15 minutes as we were there, kind of settling in, watching TV, and and uh, beginning to horse around as, as teenage guys do, coach comes in. And makes a strange comment, says, what's it smell like in here? And we're like, uh, it smells like farts, you know, a bunch of guys. And uh, and he storms out. Well, next thing we know, that he's on a van going back to Phoenix with the other four starters who he walked into their room and caught them all doing drugs. And we still had to play tournament that night and the rest of that time with a group of us who hadn't been playing together because it was all the guys who had been the second starters and that sort of thing. And we proceeded to lose every single game that year every game. And uh, that failure was really good for me. Uh, every game I had to take a look at how I did and realize that, hey, I had a real effect where I used to be just kind of the guy who was getting rebounds. I had to try to figure out how to be a leader and all of these things. But you know, from that point on, I didn't have a lot of failure in life. And so when it came again, it really kind of challenged me to look and see how I perceive myself and how I perceive my actions and how I perceive my decision-making process and all that when failures come. And so I want to talk about that today. This is very important, especially for men. We need to think about this because failure is good and failure is bad. It all depends on how we take it. And I just want to talk about that. But, you know, looking through the scriptures, if you were to, to ask me, say, Adam, you know, a biblical figure, what's one of your favorite biblical figures, you know, or what's most influential? I would tell you right away, I would say Peter. Peter, who was this fisherman, who uh, walked with Christ, you know, he's prominent in the Gospels. He's prominent, in, and we see all these stories about him. And I've often thought about that. You know, why did we see so much spoken of of Peter? And, and I think part of it is because Peter, it, he really embodies so much of us, right? And I think he embodies me. I'm, I, I feel like in a lot of ways I'm very similar to Peter, not in the spiritual part, in this great faith and things, you know, you see what he did after Christ had ascended into heaven and all that. You know, he was this amazing leader, and he was miraculous things he did. I, that, that's not what embodies me. I'm not Peter like that. But his heart and what appeared to be where he failed, I really connect with that. So the story of Peter is important to me. And I, real quick, I want you to think about it. If, you, if you're not well-versed in the Scriptures, um, I'm not going to give Scripture references to all of these things. I'll just tell you real quick about a handful of things of Peter that if you look, it really is kind of laying out Peter's human failings. And I think this is so important. Why is Peter prominent in you know, the New Testament? Uh, because 
he embodies so much of us. So here's some of the things that happened with Peter. You know, in the early on in the in any of the gospels, you see that Christ was going and he began to call his his ministry, right? But he was he was down there teaching the people and and here Peter was in his boat, right? Cuz Peter was a fisherman and Christ says, "Hey, let me go out in your boat." And then as they're out there, Christ says, "Hey, just throw your net out here to catch some fish." And Peter says, uh, hey, I don't know if you know this or not, but we've been fishing all night long and we didn't catch anything. And here it is, you got Peter, he's this lifelong experienced fisherman, and here he is talking to a carpenter. So he's basically like, dude, you don't even know what you're talking about. We've been fishing all night, we haven't caught anything. But ultimately, he chooses to obey. And if you look at the story, you realize that, you know, it caught a, a, just an outrageous amount of fish. And so, you know, Peter here, in kind of one of these first failures... You look later on in the gospel and you see this this uh, incident where Christ, he wanted to wash the disciples' feet. You remember that? He took off his robe and all that and he was going to use his own clothing to wash and dry their feet. And he goes and he's doing it to each of these disciples and he comes up to Peter and Peter's like, uh-uh, you're not doing that to me. You're not washing my feet. And in fact, I think the way it says is, he says that Peter asked Christ, you know, are you going to wash my feet? You're not going to do it. But ultimately he gives in. You know, here Christ was trying to teach a lesson and, and Peter wasn't the first one who he made it to. So he had watched Christ wash these other one's feet. But, you know, Christ, uh, Peter, you know, here this failing, he says, that, uh, you're not touching my feet. Well, we know that ultimately he does, and, 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 it's a, and it's a phenomenal lesson there. We see later in the scripture uh, where Christ takes Peter, John, and James up into the mountain where he was transfigured. He was changed. And he, and you know, if, if you look at that account, you know, Peter, John, and James, you know, Peter had fallen asleep. Seems like that's kind of a little bit of theme with him. Uh, maybe he was a narcoleptic guy or something like that. But anyway, he and he wakes up and he sees Christ is standing there talking with Moses and Elijah. And he's seeing this amazing thing. And so, you know, in his in his sleeping stupor or in his inability to know what to do, he says to Christ, hey, what we should do is we should build three places of worship, three temples, one for each of you, you know, for you, Christ, and you, Moses, and you, Elijah. And, you know, God the Father speaks and rebukes him. You know, another failing, you know, Peter kind of saying something stupid, not knowing what to say. And, and you know, I don't know about you, but I've done that plenty of times, right? We know this incident of Peter, and it's one that there's been hundreds and thousands of sermons spoken of, and forever, however you want to take it, whatever the lesson is to you. But Peter, you know, he gets out of the boat and walks on water to Christ. But at some point in this in this uh, jaunt across the water, he gets scared and sinks. And what does, what does Christ say? You know, he rescues him, but he, he criticized his faith, right? Why do you have little faith? Why are you doubting? You know, another that we could look at, another mistake, another, another failure of Peter. You know, Christ, he's having this discussion with his disciples, and he's telling them, he's, he's warning them. He says, I'm going to be crucified. This is what's going to happen. And as he's saying it, Peter grabs a hold of him and says, uh-uh, not so, Lord. It is not going to happen. Won't let that happen. And what does Christ say? To get, get behind me, Satan. And he tells Peter that, you know, you don't understand God's plan. Yet another kind of failure of Peter. You know, the stories go on, and, and Christ is talking about that he's going to be left alone. And Peter says, hey, listen, even if everybody else denies you, everybody else says they don't know you, everybody else runs away, I will not do it. In fact, I will die for you, Christ. And Christ looks at him and says, I'm, I'm telling you that before the night is over, you are going to deny me, not just once, multiple times. You know, there's this other account in the New Testament where Christ is telling Peter, he says, hey, when you are fully converted, strengthen your brethren. 
And you know, you look at that and you think, what does that mean? When you are fully with Christ, when you fully understand, he basically, you know, Christ was telling Peter, you don't understand, you're still ignorant in some things. You know, and this was after yet another kind of bold statement that Peter had made of that he wasn't going to deny Christ. You know, you go on in the in the story, and Peter uh, went with Christ and some of the other disciples into the garden. Christ went there, you know, on this night of his, what was going to be his trial and crucifixion, and had gone there to pray, and Christ asked them to come. Come, and you just have to be with me. You have to pray with me. I need you with me, that comfort of loved uh, of loved friends and that, you know. And, and what happened? You know, Peter, as he had before, you know, he falls asleep. Christ comes to him and says, why are you, I need you, and yet you've fallen asleep and we know that then you know after that here all of these uh all all of these uh guards and the pharisees know that they come and they take christ and uh peter you know he he makes this bold move and he takes out a sword and slices an ear off and all that but then when they begin to take control of christ he runs away as did all the other disciples but peter ran away but he snuck back. He crept back, and he began. He got found himself in a place where he could see some of the trial. And there was when he was confronted three times and denied that he knew Christ. After Christ's crucifixion and his resurrection, if you remember this, that Peter and and, and some of the uh, disciples had gone fishing, and Christ met them on the seashore. You see this discussion between Christ and Peter, and Christ asks him, you know, do you do you love me? Do you love me more than these brethren? Do you love me more than all of these? And in my opinion, you know, Christ was was hearkening him back to when to when he ran away with everybody else, and they had this discussion about Peter's motivation and what he truly felt like. And Christ called him out, Peter's failure. You know, these things, they, they show a picture of a man who had failings. And I think, you know, it, it, he plays a prominent part in the gospel because it's important for us to think about this. If you actually read through the scriptures and you look at the, the um, characters within. If you really read and consider some of those things, you're going to find that all of them in one way or another had failures, but none whose failures were so prominent as Peter. He was this guy who had these failures, who he spoke without thinking. He gave in to fear and, you know, multiple times he, he missed the mark. And, and again, I, I don't doubt that the other disciples also had these failings, but Peter, you know, he was, seems to be spotlighted in the scripture for this. And I think it's for a good reason. And I think it's for a good lesson. And I hope it's something that you spend some time throughout this podcast and afterwards, considering, because failure is something that, that should matter to us. But the big question is, is what do we do with it? But there's something I want to focus on here. Matthew 26, verses 40, and especially 41. And this is, this is what Christ, if you remember in the garden there, when Christ said, come and pray with me, and he was praying and he went back and it said that the disciples were asleep. And so in verse 40, it says that he specifically said this to Peter, and he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, what, could you not watch with me one hour? And then he says this, 41, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. And here's what I want to talk about today. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And if you look at that word weak, I mean, it is what, what we know. It's without strength. And so I think about this scripture frequently because it's become very important to me. You know, And I, and I take two uh, immediate things from this. First, this first part of this statement, the spirit is willing. Here you have Christ, and he's acknowledging that he sees Peter's heart. And, and you, I, know, I know that, you know, that he also sees our heart. He sees that we desire 
to follow him. And I think if you're listening to this podcast, you probably land in that group, right? I want to follow Christ. I want to follow Christ. I want to follow his word. I want to be pleasing. I, I believe that God exists and he has a plan and a purpose for me. I think that that this statement, Christ is acknowledging that he sees our hearts and he, and he recognizes that within us is the intention to follow him, to believe in him, to have faith, all of these things. You know, I think he recognized that Peter didn't intend to fall asleep. It wasn't what Peter went there for. He wasn't like, hey, let's go to the garden to take a nap. I think that Christ recognized that Peter wanted to have enough faith to walk on water. I think he recognized because he could see his spirit that that he wanted to honor Christ by washing his feet instead of Christ washing Peter's. That he you know he wanted to see he rebuked Christ said no you're not I don't I won't let you die because he wanted Christ to live for many years and he wanted to be with him. I believe Christ saw that he wanted to be fully converted that he wanted to show his full belief and devotion to Christ even if it resulted in his own death. And, and I think Christ was, you know, he recognized that Peter didn't intend to deny him. And so in that, you know, his will, his heart, where, where, where thoughts are, are processed and considered, where all of the, those deep things and, and your morals and ethics and all of those things are formed and, 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 and where they exist, you know, within his spirit, Christ looked and said, I know that Peter's spirit is willing. And I believe he looks the same way at me. I think he knows because with my whole heart, my whole heart, I want to serve the Lord. With my whole heart, I want to to have faith and I want to follow him and I want to be a good example and I want to say the right things and I don't want to deny him and I want to honor the Lord. And I believe, and I think one reason why I've been blessed in my life is because the Lord has recognized that my spirit is willing. But there's the second part of that, but the flesh is weak. And, you know, this is important because of the Christ is, you know, he was acknowledging that he recognized the nature and the failing of human beings. You know, we're weak. We get tired. Like Peter, sometimes we say something stupid before we think about it. I can't tell you how frustrated, I get so frustrated that I look back so often on conversations I have. Somebody asks me a question and it's like words come out of my stupid mouth before my stupid brain even thinks about it. And I say something that I'm like, why did I say that? It just came out. Ah, it drives me crazy. You know, Christ recognizes that we're impulsive, that we fight intruding thoughts, right? How many times have you been trying to do something? Oh, it's happened to me. Even when I've been praying or I'm sitting in church and some, some, some thoughts, some terrible thoughts, some sinful, they just, boom, all of a sudden it's in my mind because the flesh is weak, right? We get cranky when we're hungry. <laughs> we say and we do things that we shouldn't. And we do these things even though within our heart, even though within your heart, within my heart, within our spirit, we're willing and we desire to follow Christ. There was a, uh, an older gentleman uh, in our church who, I remember he, he said this one time, this was several years ago, it was at one of our youth camps, and he was talking to these kids, and he said, you know, when I was growing up, he said, I, I, I grew up on a farm, and there were all these farmhands there. And he said, you know, I was very impressed at how fluidly and how smoothly they were able to speak and curse. Such wonderful, you know, poetic cursings that they did and foul words and all that, he said. And so in my youth, I decided I was going to practice to sound as cool as all of that and, and to have such a foul mouth and all that sort of thing. You know, it's kind of funny what he was saying. Then he said, you know, here's my concern. He said, you know, I've changed. My life has changed I'm a follower of Christ. I'm a minister. I'm someone who wants to be good. And he says, you know, those things are in my mind. Those words are in my mind. And then he says, you know, I'm getting older. And he says, uh, I'm worried that the day is soon going to come 
when my mind starts to slip and wander and all of those words and all of those things will start coming back again. This is one of the things of our humanity. These intruding thoughts, you know, oh man, if I only could go back in my life and have made different choices of things that I watched and participated in and said and did, because a lot of times those are the ammunition that Satan has known has worked on me to distract and to discourage and he throws them back at me, even though in my heart, in my spirit, I'm willing to follow Christ. I think that this scripture, and I think that the story of Peter is really important because it shows a full picture when we look at it in its completeness. P- Peter, you know, he had these amazing experiences. He uh, spent several years walking with Christ, and, and how many of us would give anything for that experience? He had tremendous failures. He had great successes. What we see is even though he had failures, what did he do? He picked himself up again, right? He made his mind up that he was going to have his flesh, his humanity, become tuned to his spirit, his spirit that Christ said, hey, it's willing. He was led by his love and his devotion to Christ. After Christ ascended into heaven and he was fully converted at that point, he became this leading force in spreading the gospel. And if you remember, you look in the book of Acts, he took it to the Gentiles, something that his fellow uh, disciples and the Jews who were with him, they didn't think that they were supposed to take the gospel to the Gentiles, right? They were still a people who we were supposed to stay away from. But Christ's love and his word and his gospel was for everyone, and Peter was the one who went there. You know, he still failed. If you look, you can see that, that Paul, there's an there's a account that Paul called Peter out. He says, hey, when you're around Jews, you act like Jews, but when you're around Gentiles, you act like Gentiles. You know, you're trying to, you make it seem like there is still a difference, and you are not treating everybody correctly. And so we see that, you know, even after all of these things, Peter still failed, and yet his spirit was willing, and he still was was a was a force for God after he he looked and he considered failures, and he did all of these things that, that are important to keep moving forward. And if you look, history bears out that the second time, the second time it came at his feet, Peter consented. He was willing to die for Christ. In fact, it says that he was crucified upside down because he wasn't willing to suffer. It wasn't he he wasn't uh, he wasn't worthy to die in the same manner as Jesus Christ. You know, as we think about failure, and here's the thing, brothers, sisters, anyone who's listened to this, failure is inevitable because we're human. We're gonna make mistakes. The real question is, what comes from it? You know, if there's not a good outcome that comes from a failure, then it is a total, complete failure. We may, when we have failures in our life, we might have to deal with financial ruin, physical harm, emotional damage. But, you know, there is a victory to be had if we choose to have it. But that, you know, that outcome may only be within us, right? We may still have to endure financial ruin or or physical harm, you know, a, a destroyed marriage or, you know, a bankruptcy or a lost job or all of those things because of failure. But there is a good outcome that can be had if you consider the failure and you, you make a decision about what happens from that point on. See, because failure and pain, they are truly excellent motivators, but they're also excellent boat anchors. And the choice of what they're going to be is totally up to us. So I want to think of this in terms of a good failure, because again, failure is inevitable. You are going to sin, but we have repentance. You are going to frustrate your spouse, but we can tell them I'm sorry. You are going to fall down as you're learning to ride a bike. But if you decide that you're going to get back on the bike and try to figure out, okay, why did I do that? Oh, I balanced wrong or whatever. There are good things that can come from failing. 
And I want to give us a couple things that I want you to think about. And you look in your life, and you know, one of the things that Satan likes to do is he likes to tell you all of the reasons and all of the ways and all of the times that you failed. And if you allow him to beat you down with it, and it makes you think in your life that you are just a horrific failure, there's no hope, there's nothing that can be changed, this is who I am, and it'll never be any different, then then you are a failure. But you are a victor if your failures help you to, to make some changes and to do things and consider things different. And so I have a couple of things I want to talk about that I hope that I would call a good failure. It's a good failure if as you look at this failure where you didn't, you weren't successful, you made a mistake, whatever it is, as you look at it, it becomes a good failure if it makes you humble, if you choose to let it humble you. We often fail because we let our own opinions, our own desires, our own understanding, or our, our own emotions lead us. It's this I, I think, I want, I know better, rather than allowing God by his spirit to lead us. You know, God does lead by his spirit, and there's many ways that he does it. But you know, when we, when we take decisions or circumstances or things to the Lord and we ask him to help us, when we come to him humbly and say, hey, listen, I, I, I lack wisdom here. God can lead us. You know, a failure that doesn't cause you to consider God and others before yourself, it has no benefit to you. But examining a failure, if you look at it, maybe you're going to see that, you know what, I haven't been viewing myself properly. My line of thinking wasn't right. I thought I understood something, but I really didn't take the effort to really understand it. I didn't truly ask God. Sometimes we fail because we trust in the arm of flesh in our own. And we see that through scripture all the time. It says, you know, in Isaiah it says, cursed is the man who who puts his his trust in the arm of flesh in men. It's a matter of humility. And so a failure shouldn't make you hardened, shouldn't make you angry. A good failure is one that humbles you, that helps you to see that, you know what, I am not able to do this on my own. Maybe I need other people, but I especially need God. A good failure should help you to learn, in my opinion, patience. Sometimes we fail because we run full speed ahead rather than waiting to allow something to play out. You know, we acknowledge, we believe this, we will say it, God has perfect timing, it's perfect timing, but we hate that God's timing is often not our own timing. And we need to remember, he's playing an entirely different game than we are because he sees things differently. And because he sees things differently, because he sees things in a wider view, he's got that Um, cliche 30,000-foot view, and we have just a three-foot view, timing is different. And it's hard sometimes to be patient. And how many times have we done this? We want something. I want a relationship. And so we make a hasty decision and we settle for some unequal relationship that ultimately fails because I'm just so lonely. We want like a car. Man, I've got to have that car. i got to put rims on that car. I've got to have this new truck. It's got to have a lift. And next thing we know, we're underwater financially because we had to have it. A failure should cause us to examine how it came about. And oftentimes I've seen in my life when I've failed, it's because I have started running so fast without considering all of the options, all of the ramifications, what was best, all of that sort of thing. And, and, and you know, I have found in my life that some of the best decisions I have made is when I thought I had an answer and I waited 
waited and prayed about it to see how it would play out. And it was like that, you know, with my wife and I, with uh, we, we needed to get a new vehicle for my cabinet business. I needed a truck that could pull my trailers. And I wanted it to be a truck that was obviously affordable, right? Because I don't want to go into debt for it. So we need to be able to pay cash for it. But I also wanted it to be to where the, the you know, it didn't have too many miles and it was going to be, you know, it had to have all these certain things. And I looked and I looked and I looked. And I found several options that were like, man, well, that's that's just outside of our budget, but we could do it. And, you know, we really worked hard and we practiced patience and just asked God. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed about it and we waited. You know, one day I was looking and I saw uh, a, a truck come up and I'm like, man, this hits every single thing that we had determined. It was in our price range. It had the right mileage. It had the right features on it, all of this sort of thing. We went there to talk to the guy and we're like, Dude, this this thing shouldn't be available anymore. Why Why is this not sold? And the guy says, I've, I've had it listed for a little bit. I've dropped the price a couple times. The thing is, the paint job is horrific. And nobody wants to buy it because for them to fix this paint job or have it the color they want, it's going to be five dollars $6,000. And, uh, and you know, we bought it that day because it was everything we needed. And, and, and it was because we decided we were going to be patient because we've been, you know, I've been burned in the past. And I learned from failures of running too fast. And, you know, Mosiah chapter 2, verse 44, it makes this statement. It says, see that all things are done in wisdom and in order. For it's not requisite that a man should run faster than what he hath strength. It says, make sure you do things in wisdom and in its proper order. Things have to happen in order. We have to wait for that. It's not requisite. It's not required. It's not wisdom that a man should run faster than he has strength. He just can't do it. How many times, those of you who have kids, have you been on a walk or something, and, and maybe you're at the park or you're doing a hike, you know, and it's downhill, and your kid, they start running. And you're like, dude, you don't go running down that. It's, 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 it's so steep. You're not going to be able to keep up with it. You know, and next thing you know, they go tumbling right down. It's not requisite that a man should run faster than he has strength. And so I want you to think about that as you look at failures in your life. Learn the lessons of of patience to acknowledge God's perfect timing. It's so very important. Something else that I would say is a good, a good failure is one where you look at it and you realize that you need to ask for guidance. So often we fail at making decisions because we don't do the research, right? Because that requires patience. And, and that research might be a lot of things, right? Maybe it's looking through scripture to find out, there, is, are, you know, is this situation, has God addressed this? Maybe we're surrounded by those people who are able to give sound advice, but we don't ask. That's humility, right? Because we know better or because we don't want to hear something that might go against what we want. How many times have you made a decision and you didn't ask anybody their opinion, even though you know there were people who had that same situation because you knew what they were going to say and you knew it was probably right, but oh, it could just be different this time. And FYI, we do this with God too, don't we? We make decisions without consulting God, aside from just a cursory glance at Scripture. Oh, I might just look through. And maybe we, maybe we make these decisions, and, and maybe we pray about it, although we've already decided on a course. You know, God, help me as I do this, rather than saying, God, you have a perfect plan. What should I do? We tell God our intentions. This is what I'm going to do. And I've heard people say this before. I'm praying about moving to such and such a place. Okay, well, what, what's your plan here? Well, I've applied for a job, and if I get that job, it means that's what God wants. And if I don't, then he wants me to stay here. Really? Do we think that God is the only one who is able to open a door? And by the way, for all of you who are listening to this, every single one of you can get a job just about anywhere. I'm telling you, McDonald's will hire you. But I see this, is that oftentimes we tell God our intentions. We pray about it, but we tell our intentions. And then if our intentions work out, then we say, well, that was God's plan. And if they don't, then it was God's plan. I don't believe that we serve a God. I don't believe that I serve a God who, if I make a decision, 
on my own. You know what? I'm going to move to Tucumcari, New Mexico. And this is what I've done. And I haven't consulted God on it, but I feel like it's the right thing to do. God still sees my heart and he knows that I love him. And I don't believe that all of a sudden he's going to be like, well, if you go to Tucumcari, New Mexico, uh, I am completely dead to you. I'll never answer a prayer. I'll never interact in your life again. I don't believe that. And I think maybe this is one of the challenges, right? Because a lot of times we make decisions. I am going to do this. God didn't tell us to do it. He didn't tell us to move there. He didn't tell us to marry this person. He didn't. But, you know, we make this decision. I'm going to. And then in the course of playing out those decisions, there are times when God does bless us. He does uh, interact with us. He does stop something bad from happening. And we, we take that as, well, see, well, see, it was God's plan. It was God's plan. I decided I was going to walk to Antarctica, and I could have fallen in this hole over here, and I didn't. See, it was God's will that I walked to Antarctica. I've heard it and seen it so many times. Here's the problem, brothers and sisters who are listening to this. We have a God who is able and who wants to guide our lives and who has a perfect plan for us, but so often we we don't want to put in the time and the effort to allow his perfect will to be made known. I want to give you a quick example. There was a brother in our church. He was a pastor. He was a minister for a long time. He had so many terrible, terrible physical afflictions. And for those of you who are from our church, you're going to know who this man is. I'm not going to say his name, but he, many years ago, had contracted a flesh-eating virus that several people in his town did, and he ended up losing most of one arm, and yet he got he got uh, uh, an artificial arm that he was able to utilize, and he ended up getting kidney failure and and ended up uh, having to, a, a kidney transplant and uh, had pancreas failure. He was a terrible diabetic. He got a transplant with that. I mean, he was always, he had sickness after sickness, and this man, he just terribly sick all the time. And as you can imagine, someone with all of those things, you know, he's always taking medicine. He's got medications he has to take. Well, you know, here he hears, you know, there's someone who's having this terrible thing going on in their life, some horrific thing, needed God's intervention. And he told his wife, he said, I am going to fast for that person. I am not going to take any of my medicine. I am not going to eat because I'm going to show the Lord that it is so very important that he interact in this person's life. I know God will do it. He will enact his perfect will if I'm able to humble myself. His wife said, you can't do that. These things are there to keep you alive. No, no, I know God will answer. And he did it. And he went without food and without his medication, all that, and an answer came. And certainly there was a price that he paid for it. But you know, I wonder if we are willing to go to this extent in our life. If you failed because you made hasty decisions or because you didn't ask for guidance, whether from from successful, moral, spiritual people around you who have been there before, or from seeking God with your whole heart, waiting for his perfect will to be done, if you had failures because you've missed those marks, don't let it happen again. We have a God who is able and who wants to guide our lives, so why not take the time and put in the effort to allow him to do so. Jeremiah 29, 11, the Lord tells the people, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. I know where I want you to go, and I want to get you there. Would you let me do it? A good failure should have the effect that you want to have a desire and you put in the effort to do it better next time. If this situation lands on my lap again, I'm going to do it the right way. That's what Peter did. I had a brother tell me a story about a guy he knew who had been married four times. 
four times and they're having this discussion, married and divorced four times, fourth divorce. And he tells this brother, he says, man, I just cannot find the right woman. She's just not out there. This brother says, you know, I look at this, there's only one common denominator and it's you. Where is the problem really? You know, failure is good when we look it over and we consider how we're going to do it better, how we're going to be intentional in our response the next time it comes before us. Because I want you to understand this, especially when we're talking in terms of sin, where you fail, where you fail and you give in to temptation. Satan knows how he got you, and he is going to put it at your doorstep again. So you are going to have an option of failing at that thing again or overcoming it. A failure is a good one, when we look it over and we consider next time, next time I'm going to do it better. I'm going to be intentional in my response. You are not going to get me again. You know, Peter, he had to make a decision that when he was faced with challenges, he would refuse to fall back into his failures. And if you go forward in the New Testament and you look in the book of Acts, you'll see a couple things about Peter. In chapter 2, he stands and he speaks boldly to a group of people on the day of Pentecost, and he calls out all of those people who consented to Christ's death. We see that in, in chapters 3 and 4 that he went to the temple and he was preaching, and the, and the Pharisees, they came to have him arrested, and they pulled him in front of the high priest, and he stood there and he boldly called them out for crucifying Christ. These are the same people who had the power to crucify Christ. He ran from them the previous time. Ah, but he didn't do it again. He called them out. And you know what did they do? They commanded him, you will not speak for Christ again. We see that in chapter 5, that he was arrested again, and an angel led him out of prison and said, you need to go to the temple. And so he went back to the temple and was preaching there, and he was rearrested, and he was taken in front of the council again, and the council wanted to kill him. And there was an interaction that happened there. They decided not to. Instead, they beat him and released him. In chapter 12, we see that he was arrested by Herod, and he was released by an angel. He states in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter says that he was writing to the church in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and, and Bithynia which tells me that those are places he likely traveled to. And then, of course, history records that he was crucified upside down. And all of these things, there were challenges and, and places where Peter had previously failed, and yet what did he do? I'm not going to fail again. You know, Nephi in the Book of Mormon, he speaks of how he recognized his failures and then the process of dealing with it. And that's in 2 Nephi chapter 3, verses 30 to 66. And I've read it before. It's To me, it's very powerful because uh, when I am making mistakes, when I'm feeling like, like I just cannot uh, make a good decision, when life is difficult, I turn to those scriptures and I read it again. And, it, and to me, it's, it's such a, a beautiful pouring out of his thoughts and his heart. And, and what do we see? You know, in like 31 through 34, he talks about, he's like, God has been so good to me, and yet I cannot stop making mistakes. I'm just overwhelmed with the sins that I do. And why why do I do this? Why do I say this? Why you know why do I react like this when God has done so many things for me? In verses 35 through 41, he makes this acknowledgement though that that though I've made all these mistakes, God sees my weakness and yet he has still blessed me because his spirit was willing. In verses 42 through 50, you know, you see him making this decision, I'm going to do it better next time. You're not going to get me again. And in verses 50 through 66, the end of it, you know, he's petitioning God, you just have to guide me. Be with me. Help to guard me from sin, from frustration, from anger. Help me to understand you and your ways. It's such a beautiful reading there. And, and I read it frequently because to me, it really goes through that thought process of what we do when we fail. When you make a mistake, you know, for me, I get so frustrated, man. God has been so good to me. My life is so amazingly blessed. And, and in ways that you couldn't chalk it up to circumstance, there had to be a supreme, powerful being interacting 
to make things happen in my life, to bless me, to take care of me. And despite all of these things, I still say stupid things. I still sin. Thoughts, stupid thoughts, terrible thoughts come into my mind. And I'm like, why? And I fail. But my, my choice always has to be, what do I do with it? I think it's important that I take a, a quick moment to, to speak something else about this, this part of that verse. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I want you to understand, this is not an excuse or a cover for sin or failure. It doesn't give us a right to sin, and it doesn't say that God wants us to fail or make mistakes. But what it does is it shows the nature of God that he is very well aware of you. He knows you. He sees within your heart. He recognizes, though you make mistakes, he sees what is in your heart. And as I look at this, I think this is where his justice, his mercy, and his grace come into play. You know, perhaps this particular thing, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. God, who is able to examine and, and, and recognize all of these things, and he weighs the desires, the deep desires, the sincere desires of our heart with the failings and the frailty of men. He weighs it in a balance. Only he is able to understand that. He weighs in a balance the willingness of your heart and the frailty of your flesh, and then he makes a determination of his grace. And only he's able to understand that. He weighs in a balance the willingness of your spirit and the frailty of your flesh. And maybe this is essential in how he considers justice, what is perfectly right. You know, in a balance, the willingness of your heart and the frailty of your flesh. And considering that balance, he's the only one who's able to determine true mercy. He alone is able to look at our intentions, to consider our future decisions. He's the only one who's able to discern it. You know, for me, my hope is that as I grow older, I will experience less failure in all aspects of my life. And I'm, and I'm sure and I hope so much that, that is, that's you as well, that that's your intention, that you fail less. We may not ever be able to avoid it. But if our spirit is truly willing, we'll put our whole heart into making efforts to avoid those failures in the future. And so while our flesh might be weak, make sure your spirit is willing. And that when you do fail, that you pick yourself up, that you consider all of the reasons why, You make a decision to do it better next time. Consider some of these things that I've talked about that I feel like is so important, you know, that you work on your patience, that you work on learning to ask for guidance, that you work on being humble and that you fail less, and that the failures that you do have become good ones because it changes your course. Peter was a man who made a lot of mistakes. There is no doubt. And I'm certain that the other apostles, they were not uh, perfect either. And yet he seems to play this essential role, this important role. And I believe with my whole heart, it's for you to consider. God sees you. He knows you. He knows your heart. And that's good or bad, right? He knows when you're faking it. He knows when you're just trying to pull the wool over somebody's eyes. But he also knows when your heart is to do the right thing. And sometimes you speak without thinking. Sometimes you make a mistake. We believe in a God. I believe in a God who knows these things. So I want you to think about these things today. And I want you to arise from the dust and be men.